0: Now, you might not believe this, but I can predict the future. I can predict the future. If you have a cell phone, I can predict your life with pretty great accuracy. So, if I could, I'd like to borrow a couple of cell phones. Anybody got a cell phone? Just lift it up. Okay, here's one. I don't want to cross that because it's going to... So could you come over this way, sir? Here, we got two. I need one more. Could I have one more? Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, here are three cell phones, okay? Different types. And uh, I, what I could do is I can predict the future with these, of these three people. Now, I could flip this up. Now, I'm not going to do this, okay? Okay. But I could flip this up, and I could scroll down uh, the names of the people that are in your phones, and I could go ahead, and uh, I could call them, and I could learn a lot about you. In fact, one of you is getting a call, it feels like right now. (laughs) It is. Hello. Good. This is someone in the church. There he is right there. You don't get yours back. Actually, anybody want an upgrade? Uh, Here we go. No. But I could. I could go ahead and I could predict uh, by just looking through that. And so, um, because the thing is, the they, the people that are on this could tell me a whole lot about you. So let me give these back. This one's really nice. Who's who's that? That's yours. You guys want to trade? No, I'm joking. There you go. All right. Then I had one more right there. Okay. But just by the cell phone alone, I could figure out a lot about who you are by talking today. And uh, I could predict with pretty good accuracy, um, what you're about and who you are. Now, I'd like to uh, go back to the question that I posed last week. It's kind of our big overarching question. It says, what did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? What did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? Now, last week we talked about they... And this week, I want us to look at a new word, and the word is this, you. So it would be more like this. What did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they hadn't been around? You see, they reflect you, and you reflect them. It's like there's some mirrors that are going on. If you want to see who you are, all you have to do is look at the they who are around you. Because they reflect back to you and me who we are. You are not just defined by yourself. You're defined also by they that are around you. Now, you were made in God's image. You are unique. You are one of a kind. You are not an accident. God had you in store and He had you planned out long before you ever began. And you are here for a reason. You're here for a purpose, a plan. In fact, this is what the Bible says about you. It says this, God made you a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned you with glory and honor. In other words, God is saying, you are His masterpiece. And He wants you to be who you are. Simply put, you be you. You be you. I mean, if you aren't you, what's going to happen, folks, is that there's going to be this big hole in the history of God's world because you're not filling it. Because when we come to God at the end of our life, God isn't going to say, you know, Chris, why weren't you more like Derek? Or, Chris, why weren't you more like Jennifer? I think God's going to ask, Chris, why weren't you more like Chris? Who are you? Do you know who you are? Do you know your identity? Now, you might be saying, well, man, I know who I am. But what I've found is that many people don't. Many people go through life and they really never truly know who they are in the sight of God because they're listening to the wrong they. You know, I talk to so many people and they're simply existing. Some of you may feel that today. You just kind of exist. You're not really living. You're just existing. I know people who don't really understand their full significance and value in this life, and what they have to offer and to give to others. And so, folks, you be you, but the question is, who are you, and who are the they in your life? Like I said, I can look at the they in your life, and I can learn a whole lot about you, who you are. Now, in our culture today, there are tons of people that want to tell you who you are, aren't there? Palm readers, politicians, psychics, a woman like this. Who's that? Dion work. Psychic friends network. Like, that's what you need, is one more friend, right? A psychic to tell you that you aren't you. Then there are more reputable people like your neighbors, your friends, your family, or this guy. You know, Dr. Phil tells people all the time who they are supposed to be, right? He can tell you who you are. Almost everywhere you look, there are people in your life, whether it's your boss, your spouse, your friends, your family, whoever, that will tell you who you are. People want to do that. But if you really want to be you... It begins with a healthy self-esteem, and it begins with this part of what I think is the key to defining your life, and it's this. Seeing myself the way God sees me. That's the first piece of having a healthy self-esteem. Seeing myself the way that God sees me. So how does God see you? He sees you as His masterpiece, as His child, as His most important creation. Folks, you matter to God more than anything else. You're not an accident. Your birth was not a mistake. Even if your parents didn't plan you, God planned you. He planned your race. He planned your color of skin. He planned your hair. He planned every feature about you. He planned my schnauz, you know. I'm hoping that changes when I get to heaven, but... You have unique gifts, you have unique talents, you have unique aptitudes. No one else can do what you can do. You bring something to the table that I don't bring. And I bring something to the table that you don't bring. Friends, God designed you with a purpose and a plan for your life. You were created as a special object of God's love. And God says, there is nothing you can do to ever make me love you less, and there's nothing you can do to ever make me love you more. I just love you. God says, I created you to love you. And this is the truth. This is the foundation that you have to build your life upon. So live kind of a healthy life. First of all, you see yourself the way that God sees you, and secondly, you surround yourself with the right thing. You see yourself the way that God sees you, and then secondly, you surround yourself with the right thing. You see, we find our primary significance, our primary relationship in a vertical connection with God. And then secondly, we find our identity in, in a relationship, not just with anyone, but with the right they, those people who encourage you, who build you up, and who direct you back to Jesus Himself. So who are the they in your life? You reflect they, and they reflect you. If you've got the wrong they in your life, you don't know who you are. If you surround yourself with people who are not connected to a relationship with God, you have no clue about your identity. It doesn't have to be everyone, but it has to be a few. But if you've got the right day in your life, they're constantly encouraging you and helping you to reflect to God uh, exactly who He's created you to be. Anybody here uh, remember the first story of the Bible? It says... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then on day one, God creates a whole bunch of stuff and he goes, it's good. And day two, he creates a whole bunch of stuff and he says, it's good. And day three and day four and day five, he says, it's good. And in day six, he comes to the pinnacle of his creation. He creates man in his own image. And he says, it's good. And everything's perfect. And you know what's so cool? Adam knew completely who he was. He didn't have to worry about anybody else because he knew exactly what God thought about him, who he was, and he was in this wonderful relationship. And this song of creation is going on and it's so beautiful. And everything is going good. God says everything's good. And then all of a sudden, there's this screeching halt. And God says this, it's not good. He says it's not good for man to be alone. Now if you're male... That's a good thing, you know? It's good to be around, you know, significant others, people we have relationships with who are women because they bring out the best in us. So what did God do? God created this woman to be with him. Now again, Adam's primary prop is in this vertical relationship with God, but now he gets these secondary props. You know what props are, right? I used to play basketball. Some guy would make a good movie. He's like, man, give me my props. And the first time I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. And then I learned he wanted me to encourage him. He wanted me to tell him um, what I thought about him and, and how good he was. And so that's what we do, first of all, with God. We want our props from God. And then secondly, horizontally, we want to get props from people around us. And that's what God did with Adam. And so the key to a healthy self Esteem is to have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with people who are going to build you up. Well, Genesis keeps going on and on and on. And the first man and woman, they get busy and they get together and they produce and all that kind of stuff. And they have fun and everything's going well. And then you probably could figure out what happens. What happens? What happens to your life? They mess up. They flub up. They sin against God. And you might ask, well, what was behind their sin? What was behind their sin was not you know, this fruit or the temptation. What was behind their sin was the fact that for the first time in the history of humankind, they didn't want this vertical relationship with God. They wanted to go and find another they, the wrong they, who would define them. And once again... Uh, human beings do that constantly. Human beings sin, we fumbled the ball, and we committed a turnover. And then what do we do? We lost our sense of status and significance with God. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve, they're like, I don't know, it says they were naked and ashamed. They didn't know. And from that moment on, what human beings have been doing is searching for significance. Now, at this point... Uh, God could have said, you blew it, I'm done with you, you're out of here. He could have done what, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger did in uh, the Terminator, sayonara, baby, and boom, you know, just done. And uh, he ended the relationship, but that's what happened you know, on the film screen, but that's not what happens with God. God has this ingenious plan. He reinstates people to find their value, to find their dignity, to find their uniqueness, so that they get back to the garden to finally understand who they are once again. And the way He did that was by sending His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come to the cross so that He could bring you back into the garden. He could bring you back into this relationship of knowing who you are. And because of God's love and His grace, we have freedom of choice now to decide that we want a secure status with God. And so from the beginning point, when we're searching for significance, the way that we do that is, first of all, we develop a healthy relationship with God. That has to be the first thing when you're searching for significance in your life. You develop a healthy relationship with God. I mean, it's all about God. Your desire to want to get props, to get encouragement, to feel like you're a good person, it all comes from a need to have God in your life. I want to matter. I want to have value. I want to be unique. That's all about God. So you look up and you say, God, I want my significance from You. I want to see myself... The way that you see me. And then, secondly, you have to develop a healthy relationship with the right they. You develop a healthy relationship with people who aren't going to go negative on you, but positive, encourage you, build you up, direct you back to Christ Himself. So, who are they? Well, again, folks, you could pull out your cell phone right now, you could scroll down, and you could find out who the they are in your life. And we could predict with pretty good certainty about who you are. So my primary props are to God. My secondary props are to the people who are the right day in my life. A few years ago, I took a stress test. Anybody ever take a stress test before? Sign of hands. It's like all men. (laughs) And uh, I took the stress test and I get ready in this room and they take me to another room The procedural room. And the procedure nurse takes me uh, into this room. And there she shows me this demonic device. The treadmill. And she says, "Uh, Pastor Bunch, uh, we want you to get on the treadmill, please. And I'm like, I will. Don't call me Pastor Bunch anymore. Just call me Chris. So they get me on this treadmill. And uh, they start putting all these electrodes all over me. And uh, put a, a uh, blood pressure cuff on me. And then she says, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. And she said, well, I'm going to start. And so she pushes the button. And I start walking. And I'm like, man, this ain't bad at all. I'm going to start walking like that, you know. We're going to be here all day, all day long. I just keep walking. And uh, she's like, now I want you to keep going until you drop so I, I'm like, well, it's going to be a long time. You know, you better call some other people because your shift's going to be over by the time this is done. And so I'm just walking, and she says, but I'm going to speed it up. And so she starts speeding it up a little bit, and uh, I notice my arms start moving a little bit more, and the doctor walks in. And he's like, uh, how are we doing? And I'm like, doctor, we're doing great. This is going to be all day. You better, are you on call? Because you're going to need to be on call. Because I'm gonna be here the whole time. He's like, well, let me push another button, and all of a sudden it starts moving a little bit faster. And I'm like, I'm like, it's no problem. You know, it's just like a little little workout that I'm going through right now. And then all of a sudden he, uh, the nurse pushed this button called the incline button. And all of a sudden it starts inclining up. And I'm like this. And I'm like this. And I'm running. I'm going. Ah, ah, ah. And the doctor goes like this. He goes, uh, uh. Uh, are you moderately tired or very tired? I'm like, what do you think? Shut off the machine, you know? And so the machine stops. And I am like so grateful that I am getting off the treadmill. You know, treadmills are very interesting. You go to any health club or... Uh, you go to the Y, right behind the, uh, this wall, there is like this huge line of treadmills that are just lined up. And people on the treadmills, they do different things, don't they? Some people are just like at a slow jog, you know. Then you've got those big fitness people that are, you know, walking. What do they call that kind of walking? Power walking. Yeah, they're powerful. You know, they have hands like that. Some people are running, you know, but they all do it differently. But they're all on a treadmill. And they're using up all this energy, all their calories. But this is the point about a treadmill, folks. You're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere at all. I remember one time I was running, some guy, you know, he's he's running, he's like, hey, I just ran 10 miles. I was like, really, where'd you go? Nowhere, man, I'm on my treadmill. You know? Folks, you know what keeps you from having significance in your life? You get stuck on the treadmill of life. That's what keeps you from having significance. You get stuck on the treadmill. And when it comes to your self-esteem, when it comes to the view of you, a lot of us, I believe, are simply on a treadmill. We're just running, we're competing, we're comparing, we're contrasting. Now, for some of us, it's different for different people. But for some of us, it's silver. Money. Man, look at my treadmill. My treadmill's a lot faster than your treadmill. My treadmill's fancier than your treadmill. And we think over and over and over again that, you know, that next hundred dollars, if I can just have more and more and more, that I could have more silver than the Joneses. For other people, the treadmill is sex. Man, let me tell you how many people that I've slept with and I'm keep I'm just keeping it going and going and going. And sometimes for females, it's kind of like, you know, well, if I don't sleep with certain people, they won't love me the way. And so they get all wrapped in this treadmill. And it's all about that. For other people, it's about status. Look at my degree, look at my job, look at my profession, look at my promotion. And when it comes to status, you just keep trying to do more and more and more to be above everyone else. And what I found with status that's so interesting is that what parents do sometimes is that they take their kids and they put their kids on the treadmill. They're like, come on, you've got to run better, you've got to jump higher, you've got to go faster. And we try to live through our kids' achievements that we didn't get ourselves, but we want them to have. And we get it all messed up, this status thing. I was thinking about it this week. You know what the word status stands for? Stats on us. That's all that status is, is our personal stats. Stats on us. Last thing that sometimes people get on a treadmill for is self. They just become so arrogant and prideful and selfish. They're never wrong if an argument comes. They're never the one to fault. They never ask for forgiveness. They live in a a world in which they worship me, myself, and I. But we just keep on walking and we keep staying on the treadmill because we think that is what life is about. Folks, if you want significance in your life, God says the first thing you have to do is get off the treadmill and focus on me. You have to look up to see yourself the way that God sees you. You have to stop being with the wrong days. Surround yourself with the right days. And, then, and only then can you have the reflection of what God wants you to be. You see, folks, you need to reflect God. That's the greatest reflection you could show. Any of you ever been to one of those fun houses before, where you uh, walk in, they have these uh, fun house mirrors, and you stand in one of those mirrors, you know, and you know you're you're tall, and the other one you're short, and one you're fat, and one you're you know skinny. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my daughter Jordan, one of her friends. Uh, had a birthday party, and so we go to this birthday, and at the Children's Museum, they have these mirrors. Man, I looked in one of them, and I was like Shaquille O'Neal, tall and big. I was like, I'm not leaving from this mirror, you know. And the next one I turned over, and I was like, tiny Tim. And then I looked in one other mirror, and I looked like my mother-in-law. And I thought, no, I'm joking, okay. (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for that one. (laughs) But all these mirrors, see, the reality is is they distort our reflection. It's just a distorted reflection of who we are. You are to see yourself as God sees you. But if you have the wrong they in your life, your view of yourself will always be distorted. So what did they influence you to do that you would not do if they hadn't been around? What is it? I'm going to uh, have us look at a biblical story in the book of Numbers, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And we find God's people, the chosen people of Israel, on the edge of claiming the promised land. For 40 years, they've been pursuing this land that God said, I'm going to give to you. And they finally get right up to the edge of it, and God pulls his number one man, Moses, aside, and he says, Moses, I want you to uh, get some spies and to go do kind of a secret reconnaissance mission on these folks. And so the spies go and they check out the land. There's 12 of them all together. And they come back and they tell Moses what's up. And listen to what they say. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. How many spies were there? Twelve. Let's all say that together, okay? Twelve. Okay, there were twelve spies. And they all agreed, this land is beautiful, it's wonderful, but there are some big and bad people there. And the cities are fortified. We're going to have to go toe-to-toe with them. It was like WWF Smackdown, you know. Let's get ready to rumble. And so this, this big battle is getting ready to take place. All the spies knew what it was like. They agreed. Now here is something that you need to understand. Whenever God calls you to step out and to step up to take some land, Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at the factory, maybe it's here at the jar, but whenever he calls you to take some turf for his kingdom, the right day and the wrong day are both going to show up. So the question really becomes what mirror are you choosing to see your reflection in? Well, 10 of the spies become The wrong day. There's two different folks. The wrong day are the ten spies. Check out what it says in Numbers 13. It says, But the men who had gone up with them, that is, the wrong day, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. You see, folks, the wrong day in your life are always negative. They always see the glass half empty. The wrong day, they'll mess you up. You give them enough time and energy, and they'll distract you. We don't have time and energy for the wrong day, because when we hang out with the wrong day, we become one of them, and we lose our uniqueness. We lose the significance that God has for our lives. We never take the land that God wants us. We never take that risk because we're listening to the wrong people. So these ten spies, the wrong day, spread this bad news, this bad report. And look what happened. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword. Now let me just stop there for a second. The wrong day, folks, will always go negative. And negativity is like an infectious disease. The wrong then began to spread these rumors. They began to grumble. They began to talk about the junk and the funk that they saw and that God wanted them to do. And the whole nation of Israel are like, we can't believe this. How could God make us do this? And then they said, why? Why do we have to do this? The wrong people are why people. You ever notice that? Why? 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 They're just always asking why. Now, why is not a bad question. It's important for people to ask why every once in a while. It's a good question. But the question that I think is important is, why not? Why not take the land? Why not join the church? Why not take the life course next week if you haven't taken it yet? Why not sign up for a small group today? Why not give 10% of your money to the church? Why not big big dreams? Why not step out and get away from the wrong day and get connected with the right day? Why not? I want to be around why not people? Because people who are why not people are the right day, they. and they'll give me the secondary props that they need that I need, and they will get me connected with Jesus Himself. Well, the wrong day in this story go on in the story, and in chapter fourteen it goes on to say, our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Folks, they've just been in slavery for 400 years, and the first thing that they tell them is, We want you to go back. It's much better to be there than to stay at the edge of the promised land and have to have a battle. You see, they voted. This is what I found in the Bible. Almost every single time people vote in the Bible, it's the wrong vote. Nearly every single time they vote in the Bible, it's the wrong vote. So you've got the wrong day, 10 of these 12 spies, and the wrong day are the majority. They're the majority. The wrong day are the majority. The wrong day, 10 of them are the majority. The right they, the two guys who were saying we can do this, Joshua and Caleb, they were in the minority. I was a history major in college, and this is what I learned. Usually, the majority is wrong. Let me say that again. Usually, the majority is wrong. Do I need to rewind that? Usually, the majority is wrong. Folks, God always works through a remnant. A small group. A small group of people. The right thing. I mean, God worked through just two people, Moses and Aaron, to deliver a whole nation, millions of people, out of slavery. He used two people, Caleb and Joshua, to get them to the promised land. He used twelve people. A small little group called the disciples, that Jesus used to turn the world upside down. The crowd wanted Jesus crucified. It was the minority that said, no, He's Lord. You know, when we started the church, 90% of the people that I would talk to when I said, yeah, you know, I'm feeling called to start a church, and I'm going to start it in Muncie, almost all of them said, why? Why would you do that? It's not going to work. Don't you know 80% of all churches fail within the first five years? Don't you know that Muncie is a horrible place to start a church? The economy is so bad. And you're starting with not enough people. But there were five adults and two kids who just said, why not? And even when we were in the minority, we listened to just the 10%. We didn't listen to the 90%. You're here today because a small minority said you are worth it. And why are you worth it? Because you matter to God. You matter to God. When the dream of JAR 2.0 came out and I first penned it, and I shared it with a few people, some people were just dream busters. They're like, that ain't never going to happen. But the minority was like, let's go for it. And I believe, and I'm confident now, that before I die or before I retire, that the dream of JAR 2.0 will become a reality. It's right in your program. This is what I've learned in life. I'd rather have a small right day, just a small little group of the right day, than a whole bunch of the wrong day. Today, I just want to encourage you To be in the minority. To say, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you even when people say it's dumb to do. That rhymes. I just made that up. And I'm going to believe you that you'll bring the right day around me. Now, folks, I want you to know that tomorrow when you go to work, the right day will be in the minority. When you go in your neighborhood, the right day will be in the minority. When you go to the gym tomorrow, the right day will be in the minority. In fact, almost everywhere you go, if you're around the right day, it'll be in the minority. The majority of people aren't here today, folks. And so you have to choose whether your reflection is in the wrong day or the right day. So let me close out just by quickly telling you about the right day. So there's millions of people that are on the edge of the promised land, but only four of them, Moses, Aaron, Caleb, and Joshua, actually decide that we can take it. We can take the promised land. Millions are saying, no, we can't do it. And look what it says in verse 7. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the land is pleased with us, then he, if the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into the land and give it to us—a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The right day and the wrong day. See, the right day, Joshua and Caleb, they're talking about the Lord. The wrong day, they don't mention God at all. If you look at this passage, you'll see that the wrong they never mentioned God one time. All they say is, oh, they're big. Oh, they're powerful. We can't do it. Ah! But the right they are going, yeah, they're big. They're bad. Their cities are fortified. But we have the Lord. God has called us to step out and to step up to take some land. So do you know who you are? I mean, I'm not joking. Do you really know who you are? Do you have the right they connected in your life? Now, let me be clear on something because the last couple of weeks I've been thinking about this. I by no means am saying that you should not have connected, fully, wonderful relationships with people who are in the wrong day. I force myself to be in relationships with people who are far from God because I know that's what God's called me to do. I love these people. I care for them. We go golfing. We do basketball games. We do things that I can connect with them. But anytime time that the wrong day make me compromise something that's in my life, I have to step away. It's not that I don't love them. It's just I can't jump into that. But you need the right day in your life to help you do that. And that's why small groups are so important. If you come here on Sunday and you come forever and ever and ever, you will grow, but you only grow this much. You get in a small group and all of a sudden you grow like this because you have the right thing in your life who are encouraging you. And so today, before you leave, you should sign up for the Whisper campaign. Four times in October that I'm going to be in a small group. To be with people who can build you up and lift you up. And most importantly, people who will point you vertically to God and say, that's what your significance is, a relationship with the one who knows you best and loves you most. I'd just like to close by uh, asking you guys these questions. Do the they in your life cause me to love God more or less? Do the day in my life cause me to love His church, more or less? Do the day in my life cause me to have pure relationships, more or less? Do the day in my life applaud my uniqueness, more or less? Do the day in my life fire me up, fire up those greed engines and envy envy engines, more or less? Folks, the people in your life reflect you, and you reflect them. And I want to challenge you today to look at the day in your life and see if that is who you want to be. God has amazing plans for your life, and He's saying, let me give you the props here, and you get some people connected around you who are the right day, and we can do amazing things. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, um, we come to this time, and these really are the questions that we're going to have to ask ourselves this week. Thank you, God, that those questions are simply asked so that we can realize how unique and special And one of a kind we are. I know it's your desire, God, that each person here would live out the purpose and the plan that you have for their life. God, help us to be with you. God, help us to be the you that you created us to be. To step up and to step out and to trust you more than we trust ourselves. And God, I pray that this week if uh, we need to get some right there around us, that you would show us how to do that so that we could have a healthy vertical relationship with you and an encouraging horizontal relationship with others and that that forms the cross of our relationship with your Son. I pray this now in the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would be done so that your name would be made great. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Please sign up for anything in the back.